0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nottingham Playcast. The podcast is about to begin. Please take your seats.
1: Hello and welcome to the Amplify podcast. I'm Craig Gilbert, Amplify producer at Nottingham Playhouse. I'm once again holed up in my makeshift bedroom studio, having a series of interesting conversations with exciting theatre folk. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Amplify podcast. I'm Craig Gilbert, and today I'm joined by the brilliant playwright, Luke Barnes. Uh, Lovely to have you on, Luke. How are you doing?
0: Oh, very well, thank you. How are you? Yes,
1: I'm good. I'm good. It's a bit miserable out the window, actually. It's just started raining and immediately after this conversation, I'm off to play football, so it looks like I'm going to get wet. But, um, you know, such are the sacrifices, aren't they?
0: That's what you get for not being in Liverpool, I suppose. Uh,
1: Of course, uh, uh, you're up up in Liverpool now. Um, How have the lockdowns been up in Liverpool? What's it been like during this time up there?
0: Well, it's been really interesting. like For me, it's been pretty... I've hated it all, to be honest. Interesting place to be during it because Liverpool's as you know, is like a very, um, what's the word? How can I say this? Like reactionary or like radical city generally. Mm -hmm. Radical city and this sort of like infused into the um, whole anti-vax thing here. (laughs) It's been a very big thing, like the anti-vax, no anti-lockdown protests have been massive. So there's been quite a lot of animosity. Oh, has it
1: really? I I, I didn't know. I didn't know about that. That's interesting.
0: I haven't told anyone. (laughs) <laughs> Should have kept kept the facade, up but yeah, it's been massive. <laughs> um, but how have you been? How have you been spending the time? I've been writing. I mean, like I was lucky enough to have some work to do, something going on with that, um, which has been fine. And uh, yeah, it's been doing that really for the whole of lockdown, and now I'm just readjusting to going out into society again. It's been a weird time. I don't think it's been good for writers in any sense, because um, I was thinking about this actually. I was thinking about the one thing, you know, not being a part of the world So you don't know. You've nothing to write about. Even if you're writing something, because you're detached from the joy of like life, you sort of lose an element of that in your work. Um, and finally, like, it's really hard to pitch new projects because no one's got any money or no one's committing at the moment. So it's been quite a treacherous time, I think, generally.
1: Yeah, I was talk. I was talking to another playwright the other day, and they were saying, uh, "I've su- I, I've really struggled to write dialogue during this." Yeah. Look, these that. lockdowns, because I can't, I, I can't go and listen to anyone. It's like the only people I hear talk are people on the television, and someone's already written that. um I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I completely, completely hear that. Completely hear that. Yeah,
1: you're you're from Liverpool, aren't you? Luke? You grew up there.
0: Yes. Yeah, North Liverpool. And uh, where does the um
1: where does the theatre arts thing come from? Are there are your folks in the arts, or are you the first one?
0: Oh, not at all. Me, my my father died when I was a child. Um, he was a psychologist, um, he worked for the NHS liverpool Liverpool. was a primary school teacher, and um, mm-hmm. for that, my mom came from a working class family in South Wales. Um, he was family of minors, like sure you know, the My dad's mom family were working the docks in Liverpool. My dad's dad's family, I think, were quite posh from the world, <laughs> but not a <attached laughs> But that's the rumour. Um so yeah, no, I'm first generation in the arts. I mean, like there's always been culture in my family. My granddad, my mum's dad was um was like my one of my heroes and like he was a uh, in the he was a in the Navy, joined the sixteen World War Two and came out and then went into trade union activism and factories in South Wales. But he painted and wrote poetry and like knew all the words to uh Merchant of Venice and like, you know, left school at fifteen in a small mining town in South Wales. So um, and like that, so that, that stuff's always been in my family, my, you know, my parents were into the arts, if not artists. Um, they, you know, had like a lot of films and books lying around, but they weren't necessarily artists in the conventional sense.
1: And where, where did you, where did it start for you?
0: So I was, used to be an actor, like in, in high school, I, uh, got into like, I did, you know, G C C drama, whatever. Um, I did like drama club we did like plays like mainly like musicals and then like little like um you know monologue competitions and stuff like that and um, did that and then i went to national youth theater when i was about 14 15 I uh, hooked on it and like it was a big thing for me coming from like i grew up in a small town in north Liverpool, like very middle class very white very heteronormative like atheist christian type thing you know i think i'd met by the time i was 18 like one maybe like no maximum about three or four non-white people so like go into and you know only one gay person. He was closeted. So like very sort of like heteronormative, straight, town, white town. Didn't meet anyone not like that until I went to National Youth Theatre. I went there when I was about fourteen, and I was like, "Oh man, the world's massive." <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and then I was in Manchester doing a play um, with them, and I met this lad who went to this drama school, and like punk bed in like a dorm in manchester and then i applied to it and went to drama school but i was really uh which is the oxford school of drama it's like a small school in oxfordshire but like um i was really lucky though because the last term of that school what they do is they do well they used to don't they still do it now i left like 10 years ago they, used to, they do this thing where they commissioned a load of writers to write your like end of year show it's based on monologues duologues and the mm. idea is that younger writers who you grow, you're supposed to like meet, make friends with and grow with and make stuff with as the time goes on. We were so lucky because like in our year group, it was James Graham, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Penny Skinner, Joel Horwood, Phil Porter, um, you know, this like, I think Patrick Mark, like, oh, There are loads of people like that level who were like 24 at the time. Vicky Jones, yeah. these people, and I was like, okay, this is really cool. Like, and they make them work that's like formally for me, like about like, my Auerbach experience is like okay, fit. It can be something that isn't just Tennessee Williams or Shakespeare, Arthur Miller, whatever. And around the same time, there was um, James Groove and George Perrin wrote. Um, used to run Nabakov, and they had this thing called the Nabokov Arts Club, which was like uh, um, a big like warehouse party thing in Shoreditch. And the deal was they did like new writing plays, poetry, music, and then DJ sets all and More it was like a big club night thing. And in that in that thing, I just went to go and see. Joel Hall would do a play called Everyone's Okay, Kate Tempest and do, of course it was something, and um, what's the person's name? Laura Dockrell. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So like theater can exist in a space, it isn't just a formal theater setting, it can be something else. It can be about my experience in the way that I want to do it. Um, and I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. And then like, at the same time, Vicky Jones and Phoebe Wallerbridge bridge doing Dry Right, which is like a, come with a format, but like using in a pub and like you, it was like loads of writers, little things. You had to guess who it was. And there's voting involved. I can't remember how it worked. But I sort of copied that. And I ran like a little new new writing theater night in London, in Kilburn, which is like short play bits. And the actors did it. and It was like a game thing. It was like drinking games and stuff. It was really fun. And I was like, okay, I can kind of like film my way into this like form of making storytelling that isn't necessarily the conventional playwriting model. And then I was an actor and I was doing a TV show for a few, I was about four years. And I, was, I was like, became a bit disillusioned with the, the world of male actor. And I had these two friends from MIT who I thought I thought was just the best actors of all time. And I I like, These guys should be working, not me. And we make, so with those two, well, one of them and then and there's an actress called Reza Zimitrovich who's gone on to win BAFTAs and be this massive success. and um, and this director called Cheryl Gallagher, who was still like one of the best directors I've ever worked with the first play. We made this show together about the experience of being young, about drinking, being relying on drinking like distraction from um purpose and being lost and that sort of time of your life where and it was right that you know in the middle of tourist austerity so like high unemployment and young people sort of being like slightly out of it sort of during medicating to drink to escape it made this play about that in like the form that i'd learned from all those things and that was my first play which we made at the old red line in london which no one came to until <laughs> last week <laughs> and then we won some a prize to get edinburgh which and then it was successful from there we sold we won a bunch of awards we got reviews and sold out and came to the bush and London. when you
1: say when you say you made that show were you were you the writer of that show
0: i wrote it i wrote it but like well it's interesting because the way i the way i work is like I try not to think of it as like i'm gonna write a play that someone's going to do it's like how do we collaborate and how do i provoke collaboration in the process of writing so like with mm. that it was like it's a, it's a intertwined monologues but there's no stage direction so Cheryl France like language to do with drinking and dart throwing it, pub-based stuff that sort of like told that that sort of told the emotional narrative of that story through it, um, with the actors. And like that's a big part of it. So we did that. And then it went to the bush, and then it toured, and then we got another cast, which really luckily got Nicola Cochland, gave her a first job as well, which I was delighted about. She's now a massive superstar. <laughs> um, um, and then it then it toured, then that was it. But yeah, so that was like my first thing, and then I got lucky someone saw it and like wanted like, to like do a project with me, so I did another project with someone else and then that's all I've done really is sort of like try to attract people who do the like minded things for me for the rest of it.
1: Obviously you were you were an actor for quite a while. When did you um obviously you've spoken about all these experiences you have seeing Dry Right and um the uh, guys at Nabokov when you were going to see that stuff. Were you starting to think about writing then? Were you writing then, uh, sort of on the side of the acting, or did that w- was it a sort of slow process to you getting you in front of the page, if you see what I mean?
0: I think I was an actor, I, I was doing those things to try and get a part as an actor, <laughs> but um, right, yeah, I think as far as I remember, and then I, I copied their model, because uh, I was like, I want to make my own community really, um, um, and then I wrote in that little thing, then I I wrote this little, like, stupid monologue about, I can't remember what it was about. And then um, it was about Christmas and being caught doing, I can't remember. But, like, uh, and then after doing that, um, I sort of felt like the confidence to do it. Because, like, I wanted to, like, make things. I wanted to be pretty active. And, like, I remember it being really disillusioned when I left drama school. It didn't, it didn't work for about, I got first job, like, eight months out or something. And I remember being really annoyed at that. I was like, can't be sticking this long. I don't like being, like, not productive. So I think that's probably where it came from. I was like, well, I'm going to do something. And then I did this, and I was like, oh, actually, I really love the textual part of it more than I love the acting part of it.
1: Yeah, and um, let's um, let's talk a little bit about form because uh, uh, obviously it's, it's super important in your work, and I know you're a big fan of uh, the work of John McGrath and what's that, and what that has got to say to us as makers of theatre wow. today. So I wonder if you can um, just sum up what your approach to form is when you're uh, thinking about. Yeah, making an engagement with, a, with an audience, with a new piece of work.
0: So it's interesting because as you get older, it change, your taste changes. But I think the fundamental question you've got to ask is this. It's like, what am I talking about? So what's the theme I'm exploring? Why why am, why is, why am I doing this? What hope to get out of it? So if I want to talk about, like, for example, loneliness in men, um, the act of me doing it is because exp- I've experienced that and maybe I might, in the act of doing this play, other men might feel more at ease with themselves so that's a starting place and the next question is like okay what's a rel- what's like the best way i could tell the story to have the maximum effect of that at the end so say in this instance then your, your target audience is like for example like um men in liverpool to live here or like m- women who would get satisfied the men in their lives <laughs> you know could be better or whatever then like because you're in a specific place and because you're in a specific theme you have certain provocations of what the form must be for your piece. So like that means potentially you might do something I'm making this up, but like it might be something that's like um you know you might do a big musical, try a big populous musical to try and get the most people talking about it. And like being culturally accessible to like um new audiences, um, all those things that might be a starting point for your play. So like it's all for me it's about like trying to find the right form for the thing. You know, um I'm about to do a show at least playoffs which um, and like the, the, the gesture was very different for that it was like how do we talk about something that is about arrival and migration and taking refuge and what's the what's like the the most accessible form for that it's not necessarily the big musical thing it's something slightly more intimate and storytelling so it's about finding the right form for it but the question should always be for me it's like how do we all how do we find um uh how do we find the most accessible way into this conversation for this specific thing for the most broad audience and usually that comes down to things like joy and um, spectacle but that's not always possible but that's that's the root into it for me it's like how do we have our biggest conversation the most accessible way
1: and that's no that's that's really interesting so do you always do your projects always start with theme is that what comes to you first
0: yeah, I think so. I think I think it's like before that. It's like about urgency. It's about like what. What do I? What you know? Like in this age, in this age, which is cheap to say, but like in this time, like we're so identity is really important to us, and like I think rightly really so. And we've got to be honest and say like I can. Talk, I I could theoretically speak about anything, but what is the most pertinent thing to me that is useful for my body to be speaking about in terms of how we hold society to account at this moment. I think that's the starting place. And like, I know that sounds quite heavy, but like, actually you think you just feel that rather than you think it. Um, I think like it with like, what do I feel like needs to be spoken about in my world for it to be better? And how do I shape the perspective of of that thing that's useful for me to be speaking about it in this place? And that's the starting place for it. And then after that, it's like, okay, if I speak about that, then um, what will the impact be hopefully? and then it's like okay well what would the piece look like okay what what's the avatar what's the character that could navigate this world okay what does this person go through and how do they change or fail to change at the end and hopefully until there's questions you might have a starting place for a play and that's like pretty primitive and then like my process always be like okay i've done this as a gesture starting place who might do this with me then i find those people and they'll be like oh but by the way you haven't thought about this 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 and you're like oh of course of course of course and then you address those problems and eventually hopefully someone can commit to go on the journey with you if you can answer those questions like the next question is like why would this person be a viable partner and what it what is it in their remit for themselves that um might be useful for this project
1: um what is it you look for in collaborators
0: shared values is is the main thing so i think you can sort of muddle your way through a process if those values on there it's game over i think shared values shared sense of like the specific project's urgency I think mm-hmm. One thing I've found recently is like, I've had some projects where people use their like, or like say they say they're really interested in something, but really they just want to work with you or they have another agenda or whatever. And it's actually mm-hmm. a nightmare to pick that if they're not already on board with it because, um, because they don't really care about the thing, they care about the project. And that's a it's a two different things because, like, I always think that if you care about the, if you if you're starting from an honest enough perspective and saying, I need to talk about this thing. When you get lost, you'll be reminded or, like, that'll, that'll be the thing that brings you back to being rooted, you know, because um, there comes a part in every process where you go, this is shit, I hate myself, what am I doing? You've got to remember, like, I started for this reason. We're doing this thing for this reason. How do we bring it back to this? That's the thing that roots you in it, and that's what's really useful, I think.
1: Obviously, you've spoken a, a, a lot about it. Um, audience is really important for you. Uh, I mean, as it as it is to many artists, but I wonder... What is it particularly about writing for the theatre that uh, that appeals to you? Why do you, um, obviously, I know you're writing for film and television as well now, but what is it about the theatrical encounter that that excites you as a writer?
0: It's communion. It's Leaving the house and coming together to tell a story and being affected in the same space in real time and real life. It's the, it's, it sounds basic, but it's the liveness of it. And it's, it's that manner of storytelling, I think, is intellectual and visceral. Um, I, but really, it's about coming together for a shared experience. You know, like when I first ever saw a the theatre, I was really lucky that Nehai came to do um a show on my beach in my hometown, and I was like, "Oh wow, so you've come all the way to this small town in North Liverpool to do a thing because you believe in the power of storytelling, coming together. You believe that like you're giving something to a community, and like uh, looking enough met Mike Shepherd years later, and he talked about the idea of like the circus coming to town and what that meant to him. The act of like coming to give or like to be there for a community, to, you know. And I was like, that is, I think that's like awesome. This idea of like being having the opportunity to have all community come to a single place and tell a story that makes community look at itself and its complicity and its hopefulness and its potential futures live in that space. I think it's like, it's the only time, that, it's, the only, it's the only format I think you can do it in. I mean, sure, you could make a film or something and screen it Um. to a, an audience in a place, but like the only, you know, being in a place, coming together, seeing other people from the same place, telling a story in the hope that we can all reevaluate ourselves like a place in society is, I think that's just like the most unique thing we can imagine. I think it's the only thing that can do that. And how did you do any um, digital
1: stuff over the last year? And if so, in light of what you just said, how did you find that? How did you find the the digital theatre experience, either as a maker or as an audience member? Actually, if you if you dabbled with it at all,
0: I made a show with Headlong, um, uh, a digital show with Headlong, uh, David Morris and Dan Best over lockdown. And it's interesting. It's interesting because like when you go broad, this is what I've learned. When you go broad, like into a theatre or a theatre company or digital theatre space that isn't about the connection with place, the theme changes, and I think it's got to be national or archaic and um, or maybe something that's really personal to a place that can like resonate further beyond, but you know, without relying on cultural knowledge, cultural specific knowledge. So like we made this play about death and grieving. And uh I I found it wonderful. I always find it wonderful to like share stories with audiences across the broadest possible spectrum across the world. And um, I have reservations about the digital theatre space, if I'm honest, because I think there's, theater is about place and about time and about liveness and about being in a space together. I think like the idea of filming and then streaming shows is fine as like an educational point, but like it's not the experience. Experience is being there. It's all about being there. The whole point of theater is being there. And the danger we have with this thing is about just making bad films. Just doing things that films do but really badly. You know, without the skill set, the craft, the Knowledge the science of film, you're just telling a story in a space in a camera. And for me, it's not comparable, really. I mean, it's fair enough if you want to film it and screen after the show ended to try and get a few more people to see it or get some extra money, whatever. But you've got to accept that it's a lesser version of the original thing and it's not a thing within itself, is what I think about it. But I'm sure, like, the show we did with Headlong was an audio thing that was done via telephones. It was that, it was sort of like a unique storytelling, but again, I wouldn't say it was theatre. I'd say it was own thing. I might, you know, I ask a big question whether theatre invests its money in doing these things or invests its money in, you know, tying projects to an, to an existing production in a building. I don't know the answer, but like, I think we lose something when we start to replace live theatre with a different sort of thing that isn't as good as or not the same thing when we are theatre companies and theatre buildings. Is my opinion. Maybe I'm just now older, and uh, <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just becoming the person I used to rebel against. And obviously,
1: you've—I uh, asked this question to everyone uh, who comes on the podcast. You've spoken about um, seeing knee-high in your formative years, as it were. Um, but obviously, a lot of people have been at home and they have been able to watch work online, but not, you know, go and see stuff in buildings. But Equally, a lot of emerging artists who listen to this podcast haven't been able to get out and make anything, but um, it has been a great time for learning. So I wonder, in your early career, and I know you're a prol- prolific reader. I remember seeing you in the cafe of the Everyman with a great pile of books beside you. Pretty much every time you were there, you'd have a great pile of books. Um were there mm. any like books or resources that were particularly important to you as a young theatre maker when you were first thinking about making your own work and what that work might be?
0: I didn't read John McGrath until I was about twenty-five, so I've been doing mm. it twenty-six. I've been doing it for four years before there. To be honest, I just got to see got to see as much as you can in in nothing really much the theatre as much live performance as you can. And sort of, like, see where you fit in on that spectrum and read as much many plays as you can. But I think, like, the more you see live performance, the more you get a sense of, like, what you think your contribution to the world could be in terms of live performance. Because, like, you have got to remember that, like, loads of theatre makers through history are inspired by more things than just theatre. It's a very narrow canon that does that sort of, like, realism, that sort of, like, Norwegian, Russian, Swedish, whatever, realism. That's a very narrow part of the canon. The rest of the world is inspired heavily by other things like film, music, clown, opera, whatever. So like seeing as much live performance as you can is a good starting place. And the second thing is just like reading as many plays as you can to get a sense of like how the reading experience of plays feels and what mm. um and what and what those plays feel like when you read them and how you what your taste is within that. One thing that Simon Stevens Seven when I did a workshop with him years ago that I thought was bossy was like um when you see art or like when you see theater, you've got to ask yourself two questions. like, what would I steal and what would I do better? And this gives us like a way into like uh, uh, making the process of like engaging with art really active and educational because we start to go, I love that. I love that. I wish my art was more like that. So we're like, okay, say I go and see Brand New Agents by Kate Tempest and I love the epicness that you talk ordinary life with. And I love the language that exists with them. Like, okay, my work could be that. You know, when I go and see something I'm less excited about, like, I don't know, I'm not going to shit on plays in, in public, but like, um, you know, and I'll be like, okay, well, those characters to me feel like they're perpetuating a narrative of the North that I don't like. That's not helpful. So my work's going to be the opposite. So there's you know, two reference points you've got. Like, I want to make epic plays about, that celebrate working class life. I'm going to make the North colorful and boundless and rural, all those things. You're like, okay, this is a starting place for us to sh- find out who we are. It's so the point of like reading plays and like reading theater books or whatever, which I, I, yeah, which I can recommend a few, but like, um, the second is, it's like that we shape our idea of who we are, but it's not about learning to do plays better. It's about learning who we are as artists, what our taste is. I think like for me, the, 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 the theater books are like John McGrath. I couldn't let out. Unfortunately, it's annoying. Cause like some of the other people I've really, I really liked the book have recently been exposed as awful people. So I don't really want to recommend them, but, um, I think the Brecht stuff as well is worth reading, but I, that's the main one. Is John McGrath? Last Books, unbelievable. That's well worth a read.
1: Yeah, the one that's written with the um, uh, Peter Bursnich. Is that the one you mean? The...
0: Yeah, yeah, so. uh, yeah. That is a
1: that is a that is a great book. Uh, I think particularly the um, the essay in the early part of that book that he wrote when he first took over. Uh, I've forgotten the name, but the little theatre at the Deutsche Theatre that he ran before he ran the Schaubühne, where he uh, his manifesto for running that. I think oh, okay. he's brilliant. Yes, right. uh, he talks about making theater with the quality of a knife. I think it's yeah, it's a great essay. Well, uh, I think that book is called The Theater of Thomas Ostermeyer. Is that right? Something like that. Okay. But anyway, it's, it's um, uh, for those people listening. It is well worth uh, getting a hold of and reading uh, the Oh Barrack. That was the name of the theater, the Barrack. Uh, his manifesto when he first took over that theater because it is uh, a great provocation to uh, those of us that. Uh, uh, trying to make work now, I wonder, Luke, uh, can we just uh, shift focus for a moment and think about um, process uh, and I mean in a very nuts and bolts kind of way. so let's say that you've just started work on a new play what does um what does a working day look like for you?
0: I'll start the process, so I'll start with, you know I so said before about that like two page. like I'll get the ideas down like what who am i what am I doing this? What type I get of it, blah, blah, blah. I'll do that with like two pages. And then I'll knock that back and forth with, you know, with the story at the end, like knock it back and forth with whoever I'm doing it with until we're both happy with like the proposal for the thing. And then I'll just sit down and write it. Cause hopefully you'll have character, story, form, all those things nailed down at a really early point. And then I'll write it and then we'll just keep noting it and keep like having reactions to it and responding to, to it's ready to go. And like, to be honest, I, I kind of like wish I had a better process, but um I don't <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I. Like, especially moving into film and TV, they, they te- you need more time and I'm so slow because I'm like, I need to just like think about it and like have conversations about it until it's finished. Um, but uh, yeah, so my process is like, I will, I'll write a first draft and then I'll, I'll read it back and I'll keep reading it to myself until I uh, don't notice anything anymore. Uh, and then I'll be like, okay, it's finished and I'll send it off and I'll get a million notes back I'm like fuck. I'm such a bad writer <laughs> and i'll be like it's finished and then i get loads more back and they'll be even bigger than before and i'll be like oh my god i'm so awful and then that process goes on for four years and then <laughs> no joking you know no maybe maybe not joking really about three years and then i'll finish it i'll be like i'm amazing and i did this all alone <laughs> but um yeah and, and then i'll be like oh. <laughs> um uh, no i'm joking I'm not, I'm not joking that thought does cross your mind then you realize that literally loads of people have fed into this process that you ended up with this thing. But I mean, I'm really collaborative. I know other writers who are like, I'll do it once and then that's it. And then you pay me and I'm done. But I can't work like that because I don't think that I could answer any questions on my own better than five other people could together, especially for so many reasons. For so many reasons, not just in terms of like, you need conversations to try and elicit rigor, but also like you need diverse conversations to elicit rigor in a sense of, you know, interrogation from other perspectives than just your own you need that sort of like you need those voices that don't operate and see the world and navigate away for the world that aren't like you to do it together otherwise you're only going to get a one-dimensional piece that's what i think maybe you want that in certain circumstances i think when it's like you know um gr- uh, more homogenous groups coming against oppression or like standing against the status quo you need those homogenous groups but in my word mm. like I don't think anyone wants to hear you know a group of Thirty-something white boys talking so about their opinion on it. I think my work has to has to be the product of diverse rigor. Otherwise, it's kind of pointless.
1: And uh, I just want to pick up on you said uh, just then that you'll uh, you'll have a have a document, a theme-based document, and you'll knock that back and forth, and then and then you'll have story. So I wonder. Yeah. So, is story just a thing? What I'm essentially to use the TV term: How do you break story, or does it just, or does it just come to you? And if it does just come to you, have you ever been stuck?
0: Something I've I've got to get better at it's like my, I, I, my understanding of structure is I have, you know, my story structure is character exists in a character exists in an environment makes them suffer, and they have a vice or something they've got to conquer in themselves. And then something happens to make them um something something happens to make them realize they're suffering and they do something about it then they start doing something about it and it goes bad and then they try again and it goes bad and they try again and it goes really really bad and then they try one last time and they also conquer their need or fail to conquer the need and then fail or succeed to conquer their objective and then they crack on with and that's the end of the story that's like a very western sort of like approach to it and I do think it works I do think it works it's if there's a reason we read stories like that um and you know i want to learn to try and some other some other structures out some other story structures out but um depending on what i'm doing um, and like it depends on form as well so like it might be that play isn't like that it's a collection of monologues or fragmented dream where it's all one second longer it might be that you know it's all a fantasies so which just really not conscious like kerouac i don't know but like for me and I, I love story and, and i think that my stuff works at its best when it's Story driven, rather than the fragmented stuff. But that's um, that's that's just me. That's my understanding of story, anyway. Um, I I got it from David Lan, I think, or oh, Stanley Stevens. I can't remember one of the two. Uh,
1: you know that that is that is um, uh, is that's yeah, David Lan's uh, brilliant sort of two hundred word paragraph on story structure is essentially all you need to know if you want to begin yeah. uh, be- attempt yeah. writing a play. And yeah, it's it is very much that. Um, and obviously, uh, a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, now you were starting to direct theatre as well. Is that still something you're doing?
0: I haven't, well, I haven't. I directed one about 2019, I reckon. And I'd do it again for sure. But like, do you know what? Like, it's. <laughs> I, lo- I loved it. I loved it, but it's it's hard work. <laughs> it's really hard work, really intense. And like, I think that not enough. Were you directing a play really, of your own? Yeah. And that was a nightmare. <laughs> um it wasn't a nightmare, but like. I'm really used to someone like reading like that back and forth for like, two years before you go into it with this. Cause it was just me. I was in, it went into like a rehearsal on day one with a with this first draft or a second draft. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is like something that I've never ever experienced before. <laughs> um, So I like, spent like two weeks working out, basically drafting the script with these like students, and then like three, three weeks to make it, which was fine. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I'd definitely do it again, but I'm really aware. That I think the product would probably be better if I work with directors who can provoke the best writing out of me, and I can provoke them to have better thoughts. And hopefully, between us, we can make something that's a bit that's a bit more innovative, something that I, that would be out of my imagination. But I'd definitely do it again. I'd love to like, I'd love to reimagine classic stories. That's like what I want to do over the next, uh, you know, five ten years. It's like get hands on books and classic plays and think about new ways to tell those stories for our audiences you know of any theatres Craig <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: um yeah um is there anything uh, I mean obviously you know I don't want to you know want to broadcast your uh, brilliant ideas publicly but is there any play or book in particular you're keen to get your hands on
0: I re- yeah I mean I'd love to reimagine Brett I'd love to reimagine um any of the uh any of, the, any, of the, any of the Shakespeare's anything like that I'd love to like think about um, yeah those, 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 those are the big things I think those are things we could reach audiences for best in the UK those two titles I'd love to start thinking about um, any, any any of those school novels I mean it's such a hard thing you know um,
1: but yeah any, any, any of the what novels sorry you just broke any, up a bit there
0: any of the novels that you've seen on those school texts would be great yes <laughs> Um but also, like the Russian stuff, I mean, like any of those big titles like War and Peace or Crime Punishment, the stuff like that, Brothers Cameras off, anything massive, The Odyssey, like that would be, that'd be like the dream to get your hand on because they so, those stories are so personal and the themes are so huge and the visuals are so, you know, and, uh, so theatrical. Like any of those big, big classic texts, you know, Frankenstein, Paradise Lost, Master Margarita, anything like that would be. Like an absolute gift, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan. You know, um, the list the list goes on. Anything like that would be amazing.
1: Great stuff. Well, Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I just have one more question, if that's all right, before I yeah. let you get to your evening. Um, can you tell us? about the last work of art, and I mean art in the broadest sense, so theater, film, books, visual art, music, anything you like, the last work of art that absolutely blew your mind.
0: I can indeed, hold on, Google name of it, I've forgotten. Um, I've got Google director's name, sorry. So what does film of a lockdown, I think changed my uh, life forever? Do you know Yasuruju Ozu's Tokyo Story? Yes, absolutely. It was a, oh, what a beautiful film. I haven't thought about that film for so long. It's amazing. Uh, I watched it over lockdown, and I was like, do you know, what it, 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 it's one of those. It's, sometimes you watch art, and it makes you rethink two things in two things from an artist. It was like how I treat art and how I treat life. I think about. I watched a few of his films. I watched um, Good Morning and something else, and I was like, oh my god, the the sense of space and time in these films is just mag is magnificent. You know, we don't do that in the West. We don't have that space and time in storytelling. We don't allow characters to just sit and exist, we don't allow ourselves to sit and exist either. You know, and, we, and like the thing about the space and time in Tokyo story is like, it's the time and space that they don't spend with each other, with their parents. That's why they, they miss out on like what life is, are too busy for life, and the same for us. Too yeah. busy, too busy to allow ourselves that space and time to like really feel our relationship with people and really like treasure life and really treasure the like the gift of being able to exist in space. Like, I, I thought that film absolutely, Boom my head off. I thought it was amazing.
1: Great stuff. Um, Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Luke. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Brilliant.
1: Thank you for listening to this specially recorded episode of the Nottingham Playhouse Playcast Amplify podcast series. To find out more about the Amplify programme or the rest of our work, visit nottinghamplayhouse.co.uk and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all the latest episodes as they're released.